from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are joining you from the Iowa Catholic Radio Studios in Des Moines, Iowa, through its uh, broadcasting. Of course, I'm over here in Des Moines. Bo Bonner, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Science and uh, the Director of the Zeta Institute. You can look more about us at mchs.edu. Bud, however, is out there in Pittsburgh. Bud, what are you doing out there in Three Rivers land? I'm holding down the fort at the National Institute for Newman Studies. Um, If you just Google Newman Digital Collections, there's a cool chance to look at some of his his handwritten letters and everything. So maybe Fourth of July weekend, you know, if you're hiding indoors from viruses or fireworks, something to check out. That's right. <laughs> now that I think it, you keep you say holding down the fort, I'm imagining you having a really awesome like 1800s mustache and like you're on a horse. I don't imagine you being the best horse rider in the world. Am I? Am I being unfair to you, Ben? Well, honestly, Bo, in saying that, you might be on to me, because last night I dropped um, a fat hundy on some fireworks out here, so <laughs> I, was, I was out in the driveway, like, shooting off Roman candles and everything, so I feel sort of militaristic this morning, in a good way. There you but, go. Uh, I, I know you've got a tenuous relationship with fireworks living in South Des Moines, but uh, out here it's a little disappointing. Like, they, they don't sell... Um, Bottle rockets, or like, did you ever do like the black cat, like lady? Fi- we call them lady fingers. They it's don't like sell little- those. I don't. They're worried about us. They don't know if they eh. can trust us with those. <laughs> no, uh, the guy said I'd have to cross the border into Ohio to get some little sticks of dynamite. Oh no, the the, the full barrage, I, uh, the legality. I'm not going out and asking folks, but the full barrage has been on absolute display here on the <laughs> south side of Des Moines. Um, We have a a little bit of a clearing, uh, and by that I mean very tiny, uh, just sort of like a half a block over. And so that has been uh, Field Artillery Unit 1 down here on the south side. And uh, it has been been at least three weeks of fireworks. (laughs) I'm I'm giving you a great segue. If you happen to get burned this, this weekend, where should you go? That's right. As always, we are underwritten by mchs.edu, Mercy College, where you can learn uh, to care for all sorts of people who might have uh, been on the wrong side of fireworks. Uh, But yes, uh, (laughs) we were going strong this summer semester. We've had the the most uh, students we've ever had enrolled in the summer semester, getting geared up for fall. Um, You know, again, involved in all sorts of discussions about how to keep people best safe, how to res- uh, you know, respond to the different needs of the students, uh, really trying to come together to make sure that even in this trying time that we have people who are being raised up in the great tradition and heritage of the Sisters of Mercy. And uh, so Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu, make sure to go check that out when you have time between firework displays. I know... I know we're a ways out, but what does the Faith and Healing Lecture Series look like this year? It might have to be online or what? 
Yeah, no, I was literally just thinking about that this morning is, um, you know, as we go into fall and people, I mean, there's going to be a lot of conferences that aren't going to happen. I wonder if people are going to try to like super up their game, you know, so like used to, since you don't have to like pay people to travel, you know, instead of having one speaker, people are going to be yeah. like the Faith and Healing Lecture Series, 30 people talking at once or something <laughs> like that. So I don't know if we, we've gone that far down the road, uh, but certainly that's one of the things that we're going to have to figure out. And uh, that's, you know, speaking of Faith and Healing Lecture Series, it's one of the people that we're having on the show, uh, Dr. Adam DeVille today, who is an all-star uh, of the show. He, he, had a, he came on a while back, but he was also in Des Moines and gave a lecture. Uh, so the Faith and Healing Lecture Series, when we can get that figured out, so of course, always nice to have people fly in and get to meet them in person. But uh, yeah, no, we'll make sure to, to figure it out and uh, to be as anti-fragile as possible uh, dealing with um, the, the tenuous nature of the fall semester. Oh, so a Adam's been there in the past. He was one of the speakers? That's right. Yeah, he's actually oh, yeah. seen the great city of Des Moines. And what do you remember what he touched on? Put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, he was he was talking about um, you know Freud and understanding uh, you know I mean a, a bridge sort of between like you know when he was here the first time on our show he talked about um, how we use uh, the Christian should never be afraid to use like the world's wisdom and, and appropriate mm. it to Christ. And today yeah. you know we're going to talk about um, memory and 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 history and restoration of trauma and things like this. So I would say that his talk was sort of a middle bridge between that how it is that Freud is not necessarily the big scary monster that we should never deal with and how that has to do with healing, of course, and talking not only about like the healing of the psyche, but like healing in a total way. Um, but uh, what I was going to ask to put you on the spot since we're on spot putting today is yeah. do you guys, do you have any clue what you guys are going to do at NIMS? Cause maybe you can give me some good ideas about how to figure out what to do this fall. <laughs> wow. Sadly, uh, we're, we're sort of shuttered in a way it's because while well, you've, you've presented at NINS, it's not a huge space. It's a beautiful space, but I mean, if you fit 50 attendees in that library, it starts to get pretty crowded. And from everything that we're reading, you know, being indoors sounds like it's significantly more dangerous or you're at a higher risk for transmission. So we're going to play it pretty safe. We've, uh, we've pushed our award dinner in our fall conference back a year. We are looking at a possible symposium in November, but it's really going to be dependent on how the news develops over the next 90 days or so. Well, folks, I just think it's a fact of like, we all want to be there for you. We all want to like provide that sort of formation and education that we're known for, yeah. but we want to all keep you safe. And uh, so keep everyone uh, in your prayers and we'll get through this together. This is the Uncommon Good. And uh, we'll be back with Dr. Adam DeVille right after this. Folks, if you want to ask us questions, not only about, uh, you know, how we're going to figure, figure out how to put things online, uh, but if you want to ask questions about the show specifically and have them answered on air, you can do that through the Zip Whip Live. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. Live. Your text chain to the show, the bridge you can cross in order to talk with Bo and Bud and ask questions if you have them. Just put hashtag UCG for the Uncommon Good to make sure that we see what you have to ask and we can make sure to answer it. The Zip Whip Live. 
515-223-1150. We would love to hear from you, even if it's just comments either way. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO, and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Make plans August 3rd for the annual Dowling Catholic Golf Outing at Echo Valley Country Club. Proceeds benefit the Coppola Family Endowment, providing assistance to students who otherwise may not be able to receive a Catholic education. Shotguns start at 7.15 with a boxed lunch, snacks, and beverages on the course. Information on event sponsorships, contact Carolyn at 515-778-9676 and register your foursome online at dowlingcatholic.org slash golf dash outing. The annual Dowling Catholic Golf Outing at Echo Valley Country Club. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Iowa ENT Center, expert ear, nose, and throat care for adults and children. Find out how you can support Iowa Catholic Radio at iowacatholicradio.com or 515-223-1150. Thank you, Ashworth Vision Clinic, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365 on Iowa Catholic Radio. Ashworth Vision Clinic online at ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic, 515-440-4610. Financial education is the first step to financial fitness and responsibility. Through a grant from the Iowa Division of Insurance, Financial Literacy is an unbiased financial education program that is engaging, empowering, motivating, and available for free. Learn more at iowacatholicradio.com. Thank you, Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, for sponsoring my show. John Lee and Eddie in the Morning on Iowa Catholic Radio. Golden Rule, servicing Des Moines for over 15 years. They obey the rules to live by, especially the Golden Rule. Online at goldenrulephc.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. I'm honoring Dr. Bessemer. Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the show. Bud, by the way, just real quick, are you there with us? Yes, I'm here. Sorry about that. I went to get a <laughs> cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, I was just no longer on the intersphere. Yeah, no problem. I just, sometimes the technology can do wonderful, splendid things, so I'm just checking on that. So, yes, Bo and Bud, both here with The Uncommon Good. Glad to have you back on. Uh, today on our show is that uh, we have, as a guest, an all-star on the show who's been on before, Dr. Adam DeVille, Chair of the Department of Theology at the University of St. Francis uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of Everything Hidden Shall Be Revealed, who blogs at Eastern Christian Books and Books in Psychotherapy, Psychoanalysis, and Counseling. Adam, thank you for coming back on the show. My pleasure. Good to be back. So, Adam, you know, last time you were on the show, uh, we talked about the idea of uh, the, the patristic idea of plundering the Egyptians gold. Yep. Uh, and that's talking about in the book of Exodus when, when the people of Israel were liberated as they were leaving, the Egyptians gave them gold that they had. And that was what they eventually used to make uh, the liturgical uh, accruements uh, of, of the tabernacle. And the, the patristics have always seen this as to say that if there was something good, the pagans had, so the non Jewish people, the non-Christians had, that could be used for the service of God, that we should never be afraid uh, to do similar and to use that. And uh, since then, you've sort of uh, uh, (laughs) taken your own advice really seriously and uh, have actually gone on to start training 
in psychoanalysis and, and therapy. Uh, would you mind telling the folks what, what you're up to and, and what motivated you to go ahead and do that? Yeah, thanks. Um, so when the book on the sex abuse crisis in the church came out a year and a half ago, um, I started hearing from people in just some staggering and heartbreaking ways. I mean, emails and texts out of the blue and, and phone conversations and, you know, conversations after I gave lectures and, and just these really wrenching stories of, of Catholics who had either themselves been abused or had family members and friends who were. And um, just how little help they all said they were getting uh, from the church. Uh, and, and the help they were getting was often very much, you know, a kind of, well, you just need to pray more, or, you know, have you gone to confession lately to get this off your chest kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I, I realized I'm at a point in my life where I could be doing more than just writing books about the abuse crisis. Um, I could actually be doing something more concrete to help people. And so I, you know, after a lot of thought and prayer and discussion, um, decided to resume clinical training, which I had started in the 90s uh, before really getting into theology and, and into academia. Um, uh, and so in some ways, the path I started last year was kind of um, getting off a very long detour. Uh, but it's, it's really designed uh, because I, I do feel uh, called to uh, more in-depth, more concrete ways of helping and healing, especially but not exclusively Catholics and others dealing with major trauma like abuse or, you know, veterans coming back from war is another uh, population I'm especially interested in. Well, and I think that that starts to be the, uh, not only like the, first of all, I think people should take that to heart, right, is if we look at the church and we see the problems that it has, and I think anybody who wants to deny that the church has issues that we're dealing with, uh, th that does no good for the church. The church is always the body of Christ and uh, the repository of truth and uh, the, the love and charity that we have, but it's also the broken body of Christ, right? If it's the body of Christ, it's the Christ uh, that, that, that carried the cross on his, uh, you know, the, the way of the cross. And so that there's always ways in which we, whatever we're doing, can put our talents to use to address precisely where the body of Christ is hurting. So I want to commend you in saying that, I mean, writing books is its, its own uh, difficult deal and, and a wonderful service to the church. So uh, uh, thank you for making Bud and I look like bad people uh, early in the morning, Adam. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's wonderful that you did that. Um, but to connect that to, to what, what we brought up, you know, there, there's a lot in society right now where people are going, things are either so broken or so difficult or there's so much disunity how do we proceed forward when, when, when our histories and our pasts are full of these difficulties? And what, what brought this to mind is you had an article on one of your blogs where you were talking about the importance of memory and reparation and, and how that has to deal with healing from these difficulties. And, and precisely that it's not just individuals that do this. But communities as well, and so th that's what I was hoping that we could talk through today. Um, it, it, again, I, it, it's obvious, like what you were talking about. You, you wrote the book on the abuse crisis and trying to do something about it. Um, but is is that where you're starting to see the sort of need is not only to talk about in terms of individual uh, reconciling with with history, but as a group as well. 
Yeah, for me, um, a lot of this discussion goes back really almost 20 years to when I was getting into theology. And, and one of the topics that I was first fascinated with and wrote a lot about was um, something the late Pope John Paul II spoke about time and time again for 25 years. Uh, he used this phrase, the healing of memories or the purification of memories was the other one he often used. And he started that, I think, as early as 1980. That's the first instance I've found and spoke all of, almost to the end of his life about that. And it was really wide ranging. You know, uh, Christians need to heal our memories of division and hatred towards each other. But the church also needs healing um, and needs to request healing uh, when the church herself has has brought about uh division and and um, uh, pain in the world you know and uh, uh, so the, that's been a kind of a constant um, uh, bridge for me between the theological and the psychological um, but more recently um, I think especially in this country uh, these issues have come out in ways that I don't think they've they've ever come out before uh, and so there's a burgeoning field, you know, traumatology that uh, has been developing among clinicians for really most people date it to the end of the Vietnam War. Um, and there's been almost no interaction between that uh, clinical field on the one hand and sort of Christian scholarship, theological work and pastoral work on the other. Uh, and so part of what I'm trying to do is, you know, inspired by the late Pope, uh, to try and, and, and bring those two things together and say there's a lot that's being developed here clinically um, that I think as a body, as the body of Christ, as you put it, um, we need to hear from, we need to learn about, because I think it could be beneficial to us, uh, uh, both as a church and then as Christians in society trying to work for uh, healing and reconciliation as well. Yeah, Adam, I hope this isn't jumping too far afield, but you've done some interesting work on ecumenism. Uh-huh. And I, I think this can I think this can be a helpful sort of analogy or connecting point as we think about like the Christian role in society. But uh, I, I don't know, is it fair to say like, I, I feel like before John Paul II's pontificate, there was a certain reticence on the reticence on the part of the church, sometimes to admit past errors, yeah. you know, because because there was this sense like, uh, God has made the church immaculate and in some in some ways like sinless like that language was even thrown about so the sins of the church were in her members um, but not couldn't really be attributed to the church like qua church and John right. Paul II he went about especially an engagement with the Christian East yep. sort of ad- admitting the Catholic Church's role and some of the divisions that have taken place and I was wondering if you could share some I know you wrote this um this interesting piece on John Paul II as sort of like the doctor of ecumenism, how he thought about the church's history and the and, and some of its memories and how that plays into our relations with other ecclesial bodies. Yeah, I was listening live on the radio in 2001. I never forgot this. Um, when he went to Greece, 2001 was his big Orthodox outreach year. You know, he went to Greece, he went to Armenia, and he went to Ukraine. He wanted to go to Russia, but of course he never got there. Um, and so in these three predominantly Orthodox countries, Greece was the first of them. Um, and there were protests on the streets of Athens. I mean, there were, there were some Orthodox Christians burning him in effigy uh, and some monks on, on Mount Athos, you know, denouncing him in these lurid terms. And so he gets off the plane and, and he's barely, you know, on the ground uh, when he opens up with this 
this long, powerful uh, reflection in which he just says, we Latin Christians, you know, we Christians from the West, um, know that you Greek uh, Orthodox Christians um, were hurt by us, were harmed by us, you know, in, in things like the Fourth Crusade uh, in 1204. And so for that, we beg the Lord's forgiveness. Um, and it was, you know, I'm sitting listening to this in Canada, and he's in Greece, and you could, I felt through the through the radio waves, if it doesn't sound too crazy, like you could just feel the kind of the 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 moment shift, like the the, the hatred kind of drain out of what could have been a very very hostile visit um, by that one very powerful opening um, uh, speech that he gave, and that was. You know, something he did regularly um, with Orthodox Christians and with others, uh, recognizing that that um, we Christians have often sinned against each other and, and traumatized each other with past persecution, whether it's, you know, 16th century in the Reformation or whether it's, you know, even much earlier going back to um, even the Council of Chalcedon in the 5th century. Uh, we have often done this to each other, and we need to openly acknowledge this and confess it. And yeah, John Paul got some pushback on that. Uh, you know, there were a series of articles in uh, First Things and elsewhere in the late 90s saying, wait a minute, what's he doing here? Um, you know, the church, you know, as you said, the church is supposed to be spotless and sinless, you know, the perfect society. Um, is he blurring the distinction? Um, and I don't think he was blurring the distinction. What he was doing was saying, um, in the midst of trying to stress the sinlessness of the church we've kind of overlooked the fact that all of her members are sinners uh, and some of them have done horrible things and we have to acknowledge that uh, because otherwise our claims to be the sinless body of christ are are hollow and cheap and they'll have no credibility uh, and so i think to his credit he said let's talk about some of these things and let's ask forgiveness well adam i think that gets squarely to the point about um what you were bringing up in the post, like the books that you were pointing to, is that memory, you know, memory is a, is a it's a multifaceted thing, not only, um, you know, it, it's not enough just to say, if we bring up a memory, things will be fine. In fact, it, it seems that the sort of stuff of psychoanalysis and uh, psychotherapy counseling is about how we approach particularly painful memories. Yep. Um, you know, people who are ab abusive can actually marshal memories against victims that they victimize. So it's not just a matter of a sort of like, well, if we just let the light shine in, everything uh, is obvious and good and it will come back uh, uh, to, to, to normal. But, but I think that idea about the historical memories of the church in this sort of ecumenical movement, you know, instead of making it a like, let's get along to go along, but the fact that we feel compelled um, as sinners to confess our sins, that this, this has to be a natural route for us as Christians to approach these big questions. That, uh, and, and, and exactly this idea that the church herself can be pure and spotless, but her members must be honest about their sinful nature. You think about this when people... For in, I mean, I, I know this is in the news, and I don't want to go completely off on this, but when you think about people talking about the saints, it's easy for people outside of the church to point like uh, to to point about what a saint particularly did uh, that was nauseous or wrong. And then the church's first impulse is to go, oh, no, no, they're a great person. You have them all wrong. Yeah. But precisely one of the most interesting aspects of the saints is that the church is willing to say this person uh, for these reasons, we believe them to be in heaven 
fully admitting that they are also human and made mistakes. Mm. And it's not going to help the church to be the church if we try to bifurcate the fact that sinners are made sinless through the grace of Christ and not they're already good people and therefore representative of the church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bud would know where this is uh, said more than I would, but one of my favorite lines from Newman, um, and I forget where I read this, uh, was him saying, you know, uh, we, we can't treat saints like clothes racks for virtues, uh, you know, and, and, and they're all hung with all these wonderful things. But, you know, in, in thinking about that, that, uh, that metaphor, I wonder if um, there isn't a way in which Newman said more than perhaps he realized uh, that we can appreciate now. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, if, if we look at our own clothes rack, sometimes we've got some pretty ugly stuff hanging on them, you know, or there's that, that shirt that I only wear when I'm, you know, cleaning the garage that's got grease on it or whatever. Um, if we do put the whole rack of, uh, of clothes, so to speak, out there when we talk about a sink and we say, look, um, all these wonderful things, all these beautiful things that are hanging here, and then there are some other things that are hanging here that aren't so beautiful, but it is the grace of God um, that is able to bring beauty through that person, not because of you know his or her own uh, virtues, uh, but because of the grace of redemption, um, then we have a way of, of giving that fuller picture of people, so we don't just see their beautiful side or their nice clothes, but we do see we do see everything, um, and, I, and I think that's the, the tension we're going to have to probably fight to maintain going ahead uh, is uh, an awareness that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as St. Paul says, um, but uh, they have nonetheless been glorified by God in his saints, uh, and we have to um, keep reminding ourselves of that. Yeah, Adam, one um, one thing that's really interesting to me about sacred scripture is that it includes not only account, like if you talk about the heroes of the faith, like St. Peter, David, on down the line, it includes many of their greatest failures. Uh, yeah. And it it, it, it it preserved that from memory. Yeah. And I know like even when I was in sort of like my fundamentalist Protestant days, that really struck me as like... Um, sort of a mark in favor of the veracity of scripture that like, you know, if someone was going to try to invent something, they may leave those parts out, but it also includes what biblical scholars have called like text of terror and, and sort of biblical texts that quite frankly are rated R. I don't, you know, like um, things that can be sort of bracing even for like modern people to read. I know sometimes when studying the old Testament in the classroom, students are sort of surprised about what's included I know we're going to get into this more in the second half of the show, but any thoughts about like how traumatic events in a community or as an individual function in our lives? And maybe, I don't know, it seems like the goal sometimes is not simply to sort of like forget or repress those things, but to remember them uh, in the right way. Yeah, and that's the key, remembering them in the right way, because the damage has been done and you can't undo it. Um, and you can't totally forget it or suppress it. I mean, even if you think you've successfully done that, uh, I think one of the great insights of Freud is that it's going to come out in other ways. It's going to be disguised. You know, it's going to show up uh, in other ways. So you can't just totally try to forget it either. Um, I think we're not helped by living in a digital age if we see memory as what we do with our hard drives. You know, the file's there. I delete it. It's gone. 
Um, human memory doesn't work that way. Um, and, and similarly, we think, well, I went in, I manipulated the file, I changed the font and the color, um, and uh, otherwise it's untouched. Uh, and I consciously remember doing that. Well, human memory also uh, can be changed and touched in ways that we're not perhaps uh, aware uh, of even happening. And that's how you get memory distortion. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I think um, I think scripture is, as you said, uh, so wise and helpful in, in putting forward the good memories and the bad memories and just kind of leaving them there um, and, and not always trying to force a synthesis of them uh, so that we can say, well, I've dealt with that. You know, it's, it's always there. It's always potentially, you know, terrorizing or destabilizing. Um, and uh, I think um, we see that even, and I was going to mention this maybe a bit later, we see that even in the Eucharist, um, in, in, the, in the liturgy, where we are confronted with the traumatic memories of Christ's death on the one hand, and we don't paper over that. Uh, but those memories give way to, you know, a, a new memory, if you will, the, the anamnesis that comes uh, from his triumph over the grave, so that we receive the body, not of a dead Christ, but of, of the one who is living. Adam, no, I think that we're, we're getting ready to go up on the break, but I immediately think of, some, like, you know, the crucifix, right, as a, as a, as a traumatic memory that Absolutely. has been brought uh, to to a new, you know, like you said, place in the communal memory that we have. Or, you know, like the old hymns that say, you know, variations of what's done in the dark, what done, what's done in the dark will come to the light. And, uh, you know, the title of your book, All Things Hidden Will Be Revealed. Um, th th this is the very stuff of what Christianity proclaims to be about. This is a very interesting Folks, make sure to, to keep listening. We're, we're going to go to a break, but when we get back, more with uh, Dr. Adam DeVille talking about uh, memory, reparation, how we uh, deal with those things. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you want to be a part of what's going on with Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. Uh, you can follow us on the old interwebs by going to iowacatholicradio.com. There you can listen live as long as you have an internet connection. You can donate. You can sign up for our emails. Uh, you can see what's going on with the radio station and in and around the Diocese of Des Moines. You can go to Facebook and find us and become Facebook friends. And then through the miracle of Zuckerberg's mathematical equations, we will be Facebook friends. And you can keep up with whatever's going on by what we share with our posts. You can also go to Twitter and at IA Catholic Radio and follow our tweets. And finally, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app where you can listen live, donate, do most of the things uh, on your phone, wherever you're running around, and have a data connection too. This is The Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Barr, love having you around, and we'll be back right after this. Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, downtown Des Moines, for underwriting our show, The Uncommon Good, with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Bud Marr. A degree from Mercy College provides endless possibilities. Students have access to patients with complex medical conditions, state-of-the-art medical facilities, highly motivated healthcare professionals, and classroom professors that transform them into servant leaders. You can start the programs in fall, spring, or summer. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu slash kwky. Carell Contractor serves Des Moines and Central Iowa for all earth moving and excavating needs. Family owned since 1959, Carell Contractor will complete a project you can be proud of on budget and on time. Carell Contractor, 515-221-9669 or CorelContractor.com. 
Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com. There are millions of children that go hungry every day. Thank you to Skeffington's Formalware for supporting Mary's Meals. Their vision is that every child in the world should be able to receive at least one good meal every day in a place of education. Mary'sMealsUSA.org. Thanks to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Iowans to share the compassionate heart of Christ with orphans and vulnerable children in South Africa. You can learn more and sign up for a trip at blessmaninternational.org. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. A shower or thunderstorm will be possible this afternoon, otherwise cloudy and our high near 85. Partly cloudy overnight, down to about 70. Then we hit 90 tomorrow, mostly sunny. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bob Mark joining you today. Thank you for listening to the show. We're glad to have you with us. Uh, back on the show, we have Dr. Adam DeVille, Chair of the Department of Theology at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of Everything Hidden Shall Be Revealed and who writes at the blogs Eastern Christian Books and Books in Psychotherapy, Psychoanalysis, and Counseling. Adam, thank you again for coming on the show. My pleasure, as always. Thank you. So at the uh, before we went to the break, uh, we got into uh, absolutely fascinating uh, idea about Christians, the very stuff of what we're about is dealing with memory well. So not only when we talk about things like forgiveness and reconciliation, which can never involve simply forgetting or papering over what happened in the past, not only because we we are the people who go to confession and, and ask for forgiveness, which definitively means that we're dealing with memories, but as you said, Adam, the Eucharist itself is about memory and particularly about traumatic memory and how we, we re- uh, reconcile, like literally put back together um, what happened to Christ and, and what that means for us as a community. Um, one of the books that you pointed to made you know, psychoanalysis, I should say this, often can freak people out. They have yeah. different ideas about what that might mean. But the book pointed out that really psychoanalysis is, is really just history in a certain way, that history does the same thing. It, it makes an account of memory and, and starts to ask, where does this memory that we have shared as humans properly go in the stories that we tell ourselves, but the psychoanalysis is trying to be therapeutic about it, maybe in a way that history is not. Um, Again, we talked at the top of the show that often we think of therapy in terms of individuals and the book itself was pressing this idea that communally um, that we we have to, to think uh, about uh, how trauma forms, not only individuals, but the community. So, you know, Adam, why do you think it is that memory, which is so central uh, to what we do as Christians, gets gets pushed to the side? Uh, if, if, we, if we're supposedly obsessed with history and there's the history channel and people love studying church history, why is it that memory uh, starts to be the sticking point, as it were? I think for a lot of us, um, memory is the, the sticking point. Um, 
because it contains, often not clearly or consciously, uh, it contains the residue uh, of past pain. And none of us like dealing with that. Um, and we tend to avoid that. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's one thing to read history in a kind of an abstract and bloodless way as, you know, just one damn thing after another, as Henry Ford apparently said of history, um, you know, and, and just a series of events that I kind of gloss over. It's another thing to deal with my own history and to, to remember the feelings associated with that and the, the sorrow um, or the pain that comes with that. Um, and so if we think that those are our only two options, then um, we're going to be, you know, we're going to have some problems. Um, but where I would suggest um, Christianity is uniquely poised is to say it's not just a series of events. It, it is actual events. We didn't just imagine it. It's not fantasy. Um, but we have a way of dealing with the pain. Uh, and we have a way of acknowledging that. And we have, best of all, um, someone who comes to heal that. Uh, and so, you know, two of the, two of the great books in, in uh, trauma the last quarter century that I really recommend to people, one was Judith Herman from 1992, her book on trauma, and then uh, Bessel van der Kolk's 2015 book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score. They're both Harvard-based uh, psychiatrists, but they both have a, a sense in there that what you do with traumatic memories uh, is threefold. First, you have to be in a place where you're safe enough um, uh, from harm. Secondly, you have to be able to tell the story of what happened. And then thirdly, you have to be sent back out to resume your life. And if Christians think about it, that's the threefold pattern of liturgy right there, right? We gather together, um, at least pre-pandemic, you know, uh, in a safe place, if I can use that somewhat banal phrase, of a church. Uh, we tell the story, you know, including the story of the torture, the arrest, uh, and the unjust execution of an innocent man. Um, and then we experience healing. And what are we to do with that? What are we told in the last lines of the liturgy? You know, go out and live, right? Ita missa est. Go and live the gospel. Uh, go and live the mission that we've just celebrated. Uh, and so I, I think Christians of all people should be in the vanguard of, of helping others to see uh, this model for how we deal with the trauma from our past, because we do it every Sunday, or, you know, even more often. Uh, every time we gather for liturgy, we do it. And uh, it seems to me that's that's a model that should inform our life outside of church. It, it can always be a little bit dicey to get into current events, but I'm going to try to give it a whirl here. And Bo, you just cut, cut my mic if I go off the rails. But, um, you know, in the last few weeks, in our country, we've had a lot of rather lively debate about how to tell our history as a people. And uh, the first thing that jumps out to me is, you know, there have been a lot of conversations in scholarly circle, circles about how secular the world is or isn't. And, uh, you know, for, for Catholics, statues are obviously like a big part of our mental imaginary. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're seeing now in society that they mean a great, like people recognize like there's something at stake and even like the monuments that, that we make or um, this weekend we'll be celebrating the birthday of our country. And of course, even an event like that means, means different things to different people. Bo, a couple weeks ago mentioned Frederick Douglass and his famous speech, you know, what to the slave is your 4th of July. And I guess Adam, uh, 
not answering the question about like which statues stay or go because I don't think that's really like ultimately up to the church. Mm-hmm. Do you have do you have any counsel about as as Christians, how can we have um, faithful public witness in these days where there is a lot of like vigorous debate about telling the story of America? Yeah, I, I think you know as as Christians who live in an American homeland, right? Um, uh, we have to remember um, that, you know, as St. Paul says, we have here no lasting city. Um, and so let's let's have our, our citizenship, if you will, kind of prioritized. Um, that, I think, is the first thing Christians have to remember, is, is that we don't owe allegiance, you know, that, that wonderful but theologically horrible hymn, I vow to thee my country, that gets sung at every British funeral. Um, is, you know, as I think Stanley Harawas once said, is, you know, one of the most theologically horrifying hymns ever written because it talks about no greater loyalty than to my country. And, and for Christians, you can't say that. So if we have our loyalties ordered, um, I think that's the first thing. The second thing is to, is to realize that, uh, that um, it is nonetheless legitimate for Christians to love their homeland uh, and to want the best for them uh, and to be proud of them. Uh, and, uh, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and then I think thirdly is to say, you know, but, but the, 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 the homeland, the nation that I love is flawed. How can I help uh, it overcome some of those flaws? And uh, I, I think the first thing is for Christians just to be uh, non-defensive uh, and to say, you know, we can tell these stories. We don't have to, uh, you know, be so defensive around the statue of Christopher Columbus, let's say. Uh, we can tell the story, back to our discussion earlier about, about saints, you know, we can tell the story and say, look, the saints and the people, whether it's Confederate generals or uh, Christopher Columbus or others, um, they may have done some good things, but they also did some other things that were not good. And we can have a non-defensive, non-hostile discussion about that. In other words, let Christians be peacemakers uh, and and let them be the people who can bear those difficult discussions. You know, the, the great child psychoanalyst D.W. Winnicott uh, popularized a phrase when he talked about therapy being a holding environment. This is the place where people who were never, you know, held and nurtured and attached and comforted as children uh, can find that. And, and if Christians can do that spiritually with people around them, create a holding environment where we can hold the pain uh, and the difficult traumatic memories of you know, African-Americans and others, um, then I think that's a powerful way we live the gospel from day to day. Yeah, Adam, immediately two things come to mind. One is, you know, St. Thomas More's famous, I, well, I mean, I, it might be stylized for the movie, but um, I died the good servant of the king, but God's first. I, you uh, know, that's always, you know, something that we must keep in mind is we can be um, good subjects to all sorts of things, but we are God's first, and that informs everything else uh, the other way. Um, but, you know, Adam, like thinking here on the fly, um, I think you're exactly right that what Christians should strive for is to be the people who, like you said, can bear uh, bear other people's crosses with them, not necessarily for them, right, but but can be Simon of Cyrene's for people. Mm-hmm. But, an inter- but an interesting thing you point out, right, in the threefold uh, thing, you know, the way that therapy has to proceed, though, you have to be in a safe place. And, and this, to me, is something I think that, you know, Christian leaders, Christian thinkers have to ask. Uh, 
if if fellow Catholics upon seeing what's going on feel you know attacked or feel like that you know they're they're obviously in a place where they don't feel safe enough to carry a cross with someone else um that to me starts to be the hard work about what we have to ask ourselves what if we who do like you know like i i i I feel blessed enough that it's hard work but I, i that's one of the things that I hope we do with this show is able to have difficult conversations. Um, but if people who are Christians don't feel that right and that they respond in anger sort of shows that they're not in the safe place yet. They're not, um, they're not resting confidently in the Lord. And that's why probably where this defensiveness comes from the, 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 the solution. And I don't think you would ever say the solution is not to castigate them. The solution is to ask, why is it that so many of our people don't feel in a safe place that they can bear crosses like Simon of Cyrene with other people. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and sad to say that that is a bigger problem than I think we may want to admit. And, you know, when my book came out last year, that was one of the first and consistent things I was hearing from people was I want to still be a Catholic Christian, but I, or, you know, a close family member um, have endured this abuse and the church has not, uh, dealt with it, and so the church, therefore, is no longer for me a safe place. You know, I can't uh, be a part of the church. I can't send my kids to Catholic school. I can't even feel like I can go to mass. Some people said to me um, because I I feel like I'm you know uh, just just been cast off, and so <clears throat> that has to be I think where it starts. And in some ways, that's a relief I think for a lot of us thinking, oh, there's such big problems out in the world. What do I do? Well, how about we just look at our own families, you know, the domestic church and the parish church, where most of us have most direct contact and where it's probably easiest for us to do something concrete and say, in my domestic church and in my parish church, are there ways in which I can create um, that environment where the spirit of peace can reign and it can open up people to start to deal with some of the issues we have to deal with? Uh, so can I be that agent who, who uh, creates those places where others um, uh, can feel uh, safe enough that they can start to unburden from some of these traumas? Well, and I think that another interesting thing to bring up is so, you know, you, multiple new books that you point to talk about memory, but then they use the word reparation. Mm-hmm. And I know that, like, there, there's there's reasons why that word is sort of like in the milieu, like people think of literal like you know monetary reparations and and things like this but i mean the immediate thing i go to is the sacred heart devotion and the fact that it is just chalked compared and and, and you see that a lot of the certain when uh the, the sort of great 1800s wave of catholic immigrants to the united states um, I, I can say that there were with the idea of reparation to the Sacred Heart. Um, that you know, a why do you think like in in the world of therapy that word is sort of coming back into vogue? And b um, is that maybe exactly part of the issue is that that really should be you know a word that easily comes to mind with Catholics, but you really don't hear. as much as you used to. So, Adam, are you there? 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a really interesting question. You know, the, the book I'm just finishing right now is by a German uh, clinician, Hans uh, uh, Weiss, Trauma, Guilt, and Reparation, it's called. Um, and he uses the word reparation there very interestingly. He says it's not about repair, uh, and it's not about atonement. It's just about open grieving. Uh, and he says if we don't grieve, we can't get to the repair. We can't get to the atonement. We can't do anything else. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm struck too, like you are, by by the return of this word and by the, the interesting ways it's being used um, to express what I think is something, again, Christians should almost instinctively understand. Uh, and the striking thing about uh, Weiss's book is that um, at the very end, he smuggles in a bit of Augustine and a bit of Aquinas uh, and some Paul Ricoeur um, to talk about uh, how reparation ultimately has to lead uh, to gratitude, uh, and he quotes Aquinas to the effect that, you know, the highest form of gratitude is Eucharistia, you know, the Eucharist, uh, which is kind of a surprising move in a, in a book that uh, is otherwise not, not theological at all. But I think it goes to my point that um, Christians, if we really understand our tradition and live it day to day, uh, we have some, some inbuilt um, uh, ways of thinking and, and living that should be naturally uh, open to uh, this broader healing that would form a model for us to use as we're trying to heal, you know, racial wounds and, and, and other uh, traumas in the culture. So yeah, reparation, I think, is, is, is making kind of a comeback, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, Adam, as I've circled back to ecclesiology real quickly, as someone who came into the Catholic Church later in life, you know, one one resource that I think that we have is that, um, you know, as Catholics, <laughs> we're in we're in it for the long haul in the sense that, um, you know, like schism has always been seen as one of like the grave sort of sins. And I've I've sometimes though had Protestant relatives and friends say, you know, that's kind of a double edged sword because on the one hand, like if you're if you're part of a family and that identity is just constitutive of who you are. Like, I feel like that's the only way you can make reparation or do penance for past sins because there's no way to walk away from them. On the other hand, um, there can be a little bit of a danger in that, like, uh, it can lead to a sort of quietism. You know, I mean, one one accusation that someone made against, like, bishops who were imprudent in the face of scandal and abuse was they were more concerned about uh, saving the church, uh, saving the church's image than dealing with the issues I know we just have a couple of minutes, but any thoughts about, like, you've already said you've had folks come to you and say, like, I don't know if I can remain in the church. What sort of, what sort of counsel do you give them or how do you think about the Catholic church specifically confronting scandal? Yeah, and that's, that's a big complex issue. Uh, I think the simplest way to start it is to say we should be confronting it um, and we should not be waiting on others to bring it up to us. There was a, a piece I posted on social media yesterday from the, I think it was the LA Times, um, talking about uh, the, the numbers for last year of, of uh, sex abuse cases in the Catholic Church in the U.S. And one of the people quoted in there saying, you know, we're not looking to bishops to bring this news out. We're looking to attorneys general now to bring this out. Um, and my response to that is just tremendous sadness, because if we're people who are supposed to be committed to the truth, you know, if we worship the one who is the truth himself, um, we should be first in line to get this stuff out there. Um, and, and that would, I think, diffuse a lot of the scandal, that is the stumbling block that the church uh, poses for 
people who feel like it's not safe, it's not credible. Uh, these people aren't telling me the truth. Um, so if we, if we, you know, we got that out there uh, in the first case and, and, and just laid it all out. Um, I mean, I'll give you a concrete example that a lot of people have been wondering about now. We just passed the two-year anniversary in June of uh, you know Theodore McCarrick's uh, news being broken, and we're still waiting on a, some kind of report from Rome about the death. Um, why has that not been out there? You know, and, and that's got to be the first step, I think, before we, we move on to any other. Well, Adam, you know, we're, we're reaching the end here because, and again, like when we deal with deep issues that are, are that are difficult but important to have, it just seems like you get, you know, we're always just getting started. Um, but, but I think it's exactly right to ask, how do we just get started right? And when people look at these issues, and it can sound like, well, if we if we just start talking about these issues, we're just you know, feeding, uh, we're giving ammunition to the enemies of the church. Um, but I think that if we have in mind exactly what you've been talking about, about how memory works, and I, I, I can't tell you how floored I am with you pointing this out about the, the, the threefold way that you do therapy, that you like meet in the safe place, you tell the story, and then you go and, and reintegrate life, and that that really is the Eucharist and the liturgy for us. That's got to be our starting place, is we don't and in that way, we're not giving ammunition to the enemies of the church. We're actually diffusing uh, something in a way by willing to do the work of reparation. And uh, Adam, just like the, the you know, you, you looking at like your life circumstances and realizing that you could go help people by going into counseling and stuff. Uh, I, I admire that greatly. And I just appreciate you coming on the show so much, Adam. No, my pleasure as always. Thank you. So, uh, Dr. Adam DeVille, Chair of the Department of Theology at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of Everything Hidden Shall Be Revealed, blogger at Eastern Christian Books and Books in Psychotherapy, Psychoanalysis, and Counseling. Again, thanks for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you. This is the end Common good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, our nation, the world, the solar system, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. But if people want to continue being a part of the prayer life at Iowa Catholic Radio, what are the ways that they can do so? Yeah, please join us for prayer daily. We pray the rosary together at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. The uh, Angelus is also prayed on air at 6 in the morning, and you can find uh, all of those opportunities also on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And then, folks, uh, if you want to make sure to keep uh, being a part of our show, uh, our station, the ministry that we do, realize that we are really driven not by the people who are on air talking, but by your prayers and your willingness to support us. Iowa Catholic Radio does something uh, that the few other things get to do, which is to be a pervasive presence. People can tune into the radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you know, broadcast through walls. This is a ministry that is an honor to be a part of, but the honor is made possible through what you do. So we ask you to remember our show, our guests, uh, the people who talk on air, the people behind the boards in the office, uh, but, but the whole ministry. We ask you to remember us in prayer and realize that you are part and parcel of that memory uh, mi uh, mi ha, ministry and that we're also supported uh, financially uh, through you. You keep the station running, uh, and we can't thank you enough for that. You can go to iowacatholicradio.com. 
iowacast.com to donate, or if you donate, uh, download the iowacast radio app, you can do it that way as well. So, folks, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show, bud. Uh, make sure to have a good week. Stay safe with all of your uh, fireworks. And, uh, you know, don't make Ohio and Pennsylvania rethink their firework relationship. We'll do our best over here. You too, buddy. Yeah. God bless, folks. This is The Uncommon Good. We will be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good. <laughs>